Well, I've been praying a little bit about what God would have for me this morning and uh, what it is that he wanted me to preach. And so my daughters were able to help me out and bring some clarity to some things. And I said, okay, that's what I'm going to preach. And I looked down and I'm like, oh, I forgot they're downstairs helping in class with the kids. And um, with that being said, I wanted to go over some questions that have been asked of me this week. But before I do that, I would just like to take my mic right here and uh, ask my sister Faith to bring us up to date. See, I didn't want to tell you ahead of time. It would mess you all up. Just let everybody know what you've been going through and how God, how good God has been, how many chemo treatments you have left, all that kind of good stuff. And I won't make, I won't make you get up. I just finished number seven out of eight. And I'm feeling good. I'm going to cry just because I'm embarrassed. Um, <laughs> I'm feeling good today. I have no pain like I did two weeks or two treatments ago where it, it hurt to move. Um, God has kept a lot of the a lot of the junk that they said was going to happen hasn't. Like I have not I've not thrown up all the time. I've not you know I've just been tired, which kind of stinks, but that's okay. So he's protected me through a lot of it, all of it. So can I be done now? Amen. That's exciting. And uh, am I on? There we go. You know, it is exciting. Thank you, Faith. And, and I appreciate, you know, I, I tell people ahead of time, I'm going to ask you to do something. They're like, well, you're going to what? And then they have to think about it and, you know, write it down and rewrite it and all that kind of stuff. But if you haven't received your Team Faith bracelet, make sure you pick up your Team Faith bracelet. So every time that you see it, no matter where you put it, you can pray. And uh, you can turn me down to the monitors if you would please, James. But you can pray and uh, continue to be in faith, in prayer for faith and have faith to pray for faith. To increase her faith. Amen. This past week and this coming week, we may face or witness one of the most tragic hurricanes that I know I've ever seen in my lifetime. Well, we have seen the news reports of hurricanes, earthquakes and wars, fires and other atrocities. We may not have ever seen a disaster of this magnitude. Adding to the impact on us are the near instantaneous photos, the Facebook videos, and even satellite images that bombard our eyes and our minds. It is unlikely that anyone in America has escaped the graphic visuals of this catastrophic or catastrophe from one source or another. As I've been keeping up to date on the Weather Channel, Facebook, all of the videos, just trying to watch the news and social media and find out what's going on in St. Martin and, and, and all of the islands that are out there and all the difficulties that they're facing and I noticed for some islands, it actually wiped out the whole island. There's nothing standing, not even electricity. And so they have to start to rebuild again. For this generation, this may be one of the worst disasters to hit the south. And I know even in my lifetime. Sadly, within hours of this hurricane and devastation, people began posting 
their viewpoints on various internet and social media websites, which brought me to the place where I'm at today to discuss the signs of the times. Some decrying it is his judgment on sin. Others linking it to the end of the world and making it a topic at our schools and our workplaces. Many attributing the authorship of this catastrophe to the hand of God. And others sensationalizing it by showing how and why it is the very definition of in the very defining moment of certain Bible verses. So this morning, the events of this past week and these days that are among us are most certainly the topic of more sermons than any other subject. And so this morning, I just felt it necessary as your pastor to discuss more of a biblical perspective on signs of the times. Now, we at New Hope, if you'll look in our overview of theology, and for some of you that have received it, you'll understand what our doctrine is on the end times. Um, There are three different types of tribulations that you will notice. It's called pre-tribulation, mid-trib, or post-trib. And I believe that, uh, that the Lord is going to rapture his church, and then the tribulation will take place. I believe that a lot of suffering will take place in and around the globe, around the world, not just in the United States of America, but around the globe. And so, which brings us to the topic this morning, signs of the times. Let's ask God to bless today's message out of Matthew chapter 24. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for for your word this morning. Help us to understand it. Help me to be able to speak it. And Lord, there's always questions. For many of us fear the rapture. Many of us fear the outcome of what's going to take place on this earth before you rapture your church. And Lord, for those that will be left here might have to endure the tribulation until the Son of Man comes back and reestablish his kingdom on this earth. Father, help me to be able to explain it with clarity and so that the congregation can understand and be able to, to know that, Lord, your hand is on everything and you are in the midst of every storm, for you are over this storm. Lord, we love you and we ask this in your name. Amen. Number one, don't be misled as to the biblical significance of this disaster. So Megan says to me this week, she says, Dad, I have some questions as she's texting me and probably uh, has her camouflage outfit on. And I don't know what else is going on there at school. And they're not supposed to have their phones and texting. She's texting me. And so I'm throwing her all these Bible verses. And I'm letting her know, you know, this is what's going on, and this is really what the scriptures have to say, and this is what we need to understand. And so I hope that today, when we are all done with this message, that we'll understand that the signs of the time are among us, that things are happening. But I want to give you history of what has actually taken place. And so you'll be able to, I'll throw you a bunch of numbers today, and you'll be at the end of the message going, what in the world just took place? But the most important part of today's message that I want you to understand is where are we in the center of the storm? And where is God in the midst of the storm? 
I'm going to read some scriptures in just a moment out of Matthew chapter 24 that I hope will help us to view the big picture. And I don't want to sensationalize them, but I want you to understand it. While the word does say that in the end times there will be what? Earthquakes. Please note that earthquakes have hit the earth for 1,000 years. Amazing, isn't it? In the year 69, an earthquake hit the region of Pompeii, followed by a volcanic eruption that destroyed numerous villages and killing over 20,000 people. In 476 A.D., an earthquake hit Rome, which all but decimated the city. In 526, 250,000 people were killed in an earthquake in what is now known as Turkey. In January of 1556, over 830,000 people were killed in an earthquake in China. In 1703, an earthquake in Tokyo killed 200,000. History records an earthquake in India in 1737 was responsible for 300,000 fatalities. In 1868, a tsunami hit the coast of Peru... With such force, the waves reached three miles inland. Tens of thousands were killed. In 1923, Tokyo lost 140,000 people to an earthquake. In 1935, India lost 50,000 to a quake. In 1976, in China, 240,000 people died during an earthquake in Tangshan. Church throughout recorded history, earthquakes, tsunamis, and hurricanes have taken hundreds of thousands of lives. Any earthquake, or for that matter, any disaster in and of itself cannot be pointed to as the fulfillment of any scripture or prophecy. Where are you going with this, Pastor? I was raised hearing how everything that hit the newspaper was the scripture or that the scripture was being fulfilled. Turn me down a little bit. You you know what I find interesting? I had to do this for myself. And I had to find out for myself exactly. You know, because I know I've been caught up in the same misunderstanding what the scriptures have to say. Oh, here he comes. Here he comes. Here he comes. The Lord's coming back. I remember as a little boy, I remember this pastor being up, you know, he was just preaching away and we were rosemind. And I can still remember this message because it, it caused some fear in my life as a little boy. The Lord's coming back. Get your heart right. And I thought to myself, the Lord's coming back. What's wrong with my heart? I'm seven years old. You know, and so we are motivated Because of what we've heard. Now, more than anything, what we need to understand is what the Word of God has to say. Not what a preacher gets up and starts talking about and snorting over. We need to understand what the Scriptures have to say and how Scriptures should be fulfilled. People who accept Christ out of fear seldom remain believers. And they are far more difficult to ever reach for Christ again. We cannot know with any certainty or accuracy that any earthly event fulfills a certain prophecy until after the rapture and we look back in hindsight. Amen. Many of us will say, oh, this happens to be because of prophecy. But you need to be careful 
Do not be misled by those who try to sensationalize current events and squeeze them into their prophecy box. Because the Bible tells us to be careful of those false prophets. Now, this is going to be a touchy subject because I don't know where many of you even stand on pre-tribulation, mid-trib, or post-trib. So pastors and I were sitting in a room three years ago as we all start to discuss what our thoughts are on the tribulation. Are you pre-trib? Are you mid-trib? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm tripping out on all this tribbing. I I was like, y'all are crazy. You know, I don't need to know their doctrinal view. I do know this. That certain things will take place and that we will discuss this morning. So second, don't get caught up in the wave of teaching that this is somehow the judgment or wrath of God. Don't get caught up in the teaching that this is somehow the judgment or wrath of God. Granted, in the Old Testament, God did use plagues and diseases to deal with people, but that was before the resurrection of Christ. The truth is countless plagues and diseases have hit mankind throughout all of history. In the 1300s, Europe lost up to 75% of its people to the bubonic plague. There were actually three major plague epidemics in the 6th, 14th, and 17th centuries. The death toll totaled some 137 million people. As a result, the plague is considered to be the worst epidemic of all times. At its worst, the bubonic plague killed 2 million victims a year. Isn't that amazing? This is certainly a bad situation, but there is one that is worse. The outbreak of influenza in 1918 and 1919 killed 25 million people worldwide in one year. Nearly 20 million cases were reported in the United States alone, according or accounting for almost 1 million deaths. The point is, To proclaim such thing as God's judgment or God's wrath is cruel to the godly people who have suffered loss and injury. Isn't that amazing? In the Old Testament times, when God sent judgment, he was always removed. He removed the godly people first. And you're like, really? Yeah, let me give you some illustrations or examples here. In the Old Testament times, here's what he did. Or, in some ways, he protected the godly people from harm. In the flood... God spared Noah and his family. Sodom and Gomorrah, God spared Lot and his family. The plagues of Egypt, God spared all of Israel. Killing of the Egyptian firstborn sons, God spared Israel with blood on the doorposts. Jericho, God protected Rahab and her family until they could be evacuated. All that is part of what forms my belief that the rapture of the church will be before the tribulation. And I repeat, all that is part of what forms my belief that the rapture of the church will be before the tribulation. You see, God has a track record. He always gets his people out before the wrath is poured out. And you'll see that throughout scriptures. Don't get caught in the blame game. Spread God's love and mercy. The victims of these tragedies need help and support, not condemnation. 
Many God-fearing believers were killed or injured, and hundreds of thousands lost everything they had. It wasn't God's fault, so don't get caught up in the blame game. Now, I'm building up to something here, and I know we haven't even opened up the word this morning. Number three, beware that the two key elements of end-time prophecy deal with Israel and with evangelism. Be aware that the two key elements of end-time prophecy deal with Israel and with evangelism. In 1948, Israel again became what? A recognized state. What happens to that nation and what happens to Jerusalem and what happens to the Jews as a faith play a very big part in the last days. Equally important is the role of evangelism, the active pursuit of people who have yet to hear an adequate presentation of the gospel. So this is where we open up the Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. So go ahead, if you would, please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, the first of the gospels. Megan asked me, but dad, will everybody hear? The gospel before his return. I said yes because I believe what the scriptures have to say. And we're going to see that this morning. Matthew 24 verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately. Now you're going to say this is not King James Version. Because I wanted to kind of do it in a reading form. But just follow along with me. Tell us they said. When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of age? Verse 4 of Matthew 24. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to that that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Oh, goodness. So we're starting to see. It's starting to unfold. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. And in verse 10, and at the time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will wax cold, will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world There it is, Megan, verse 14, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Notice what Jesus has to say here, that wars, famines, earthquakes, pestilence, all of those things are going to happen. But they're not the sign of his coming. Really. Interesting, isn't it? Because all of our whole life... That's what I believed. He's coming. He's coming. Here he comes. Well, did I just give you statistics of what happened back in the 1400s, the 1600s, the 1700s, the 1800s, 1900s? 
Now in the year 2000s in the new millennium. But here's what he says in his word. Jesus said until every nation. Jesus said until every nation. See, the real translation here should be group of people or a people group. Until every people group hears an adequate presentation of the gospel. He's not coming back this week. Now, I do believe in the imminent or the coming rapture of the church. In other words, I believe and preach that Jesus could come at any second. So how can we preach that Jesus can't come until everyone hears and yet Jesus could come at any second? Only God knows when a nation or a people group has had a witness of the gospel. There's some 190 countries in the world today. None are totally close to the gospel. Over 150 have active Christian ministries. There are, however, close to 500 known people groups. No one knows how many of them have been reached and how many remain unreached. No one is able to formulate how much or how little of the gospel has been presented to them during the course of history. Only God has kept a record of who and when and how the gospel has been presented to the peoples of the world. And when the last group has heard the story of Jesus, God will say, it's time. It's time. It is possible that only a handful of people have yet to hear. But only God knows that, right? Not us. Our job is to do what? To preach the gospel. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, if you'll turn with me, let's, if you're already there, look over to the latter part of the scriptures. And it says there, no one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Verse 37. But as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be the coming of the Son of Man. From the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Part of why we work so hard in missions is to get the word out to as many people groups as we can. So you, you ask me, Pastor, so how do we live then? So let me read some more scripture to you. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21 We're going to be reading verse 7. And I hope this brings some clarity to you because people are like, there's fires out west, there's hurricanes down south, there's earthquakes out, out east. You know, uh, men are turning against men. We've got, you know, uh, Islam growing by leaps and bounds. This morning in the, in the, in the men's discipleship class, Talking about, they're saying there's less men in the church than there have ever been. 50% of Christians are going to church because we've sat back and we've let 
things take place in our homes. And so how can we ever bring them to the church? And by the way, you know what? I get so tired of everybody always saying, you know, it's his fault, their fault, her fault, his fault. Quit looking at people and start looking at Christ. We need to look for the second coming when he's going to come back and rapture his church. Be ready. And that's what the scriptures tell us. Verse 7. Here's what it says. And here's what it reads. In Luke chapter 21, verse 7. And they asked him, saying, Teacher, when will these things happen? But I love when they say master. I love that in the King James Version. Because I think it really just brings out really what the scriptures have to say. And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? And verse 8, he replied, Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation. We, we've talked about and we've heard about it, haven't we, Korea? That missile's pointed right at us. Oh, no, what are we going to do? I don't know. All I know is if the thing lands, I'm gone. I'm in heaven. I won't have to put up with no more junk on this earth. And to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, glory, I'm going to heaven. You know, so that's when my rapture's taking place. I mean, do we need to sit and obsess? I think for teenagers it's difficult, especially when they start learning the word. They're going, oh my goodness, that's so scary, Dad. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are scary. But that, he says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. We need to put our faith and trust in God. Verse 11, there will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. Verse 14, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. I want to do something, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. I love what the King James Version has to say there too. You will be betrayed even by parents. Listen closely. You will be betrayed by your parents, your brothers, your relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And all men will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country nor enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be. In those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers, there will be great distress in the land and wrath against his people. And they will, they will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perpetually at the roaring and tossing of the sea. 
Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, but the Lord is coming back. What's happening? No, you need to bow down. Sorry, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to do that. Won't it be wonderful to think, as the word says, that he will give us power and wisdom to stand against the enemy? Do we believe that, church? Do we claim it? Are we just riding on the laurels of our Christianity? Are we actually embracing what the word of God has to say? Listen, Christian, stand up, stand out, preach his gospel. Don't, uh, don't leave it up to the person next to you, in front of you, behind you. Get excited. Persecution's going to come. I'll never forget. This was, I don't know how many years back. Um, Lindsay's not in here either as Victoria, but Megan is. So I'm preaching to one kid. But I will, I'll tell you this, that we were all sitting around the table and they're like, Dad, do you think there's going to come a time when they could just come in here because you're a pastor that... They'll, they'll persecute you and imprison you? Sure. It's happening right now in other countries. And that's where I have to be in the Word. That's where I have to be in prayer. That's where I have to be in fellowship with God because I've got to tell you something. I watched an execution from a group of ISIS decapitate some Christians. That vision has never left this mind of mine, ever. Ever. I can't get it out of my head. And I'm going to tell you right now, I got a little frightened. Because when somebody takes a knife and they just start sawing away, that was just probably the most horrific thing I have ever seen in my life. And it says, nation will rise against nation. Wars will break out. We understand wars have been going on. Third world countries for years. We see it in biblical times. Through King Saul, through King David. But we have to realize that with God we have the power. And Christianity, man, one of the greatest things for me is to stand strong in the power of his might. I want a church to believe that in these end times that we can stand and lift up our heads. Because it says our redemption is drawing nigh. It's drawing near. Second Timothy chapter three verses one through seven. Second Timothy chapter three verses one through seven. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. You know, and and it is it is profound because I just had to go back to to all my scripture and really kind of start to to see what the scriptures have to say about this. Now watch this. This is where I start to see the end times coming close at hand. It says for, in verse 2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, Heady, high-minded lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Oh, 
That doesn't fit me. That's what you're thinking. But verse 5 does. But having a form of godliness, but denying its power, having nothing to do with them. We have the form of godliness, but we deny the power that God can do anything in and through us. Man, we have stopped healings. We have stopped the work of God. We've stopped communicating it because we don't believe it ourselves. But we look like it, we act like it, we can walk like it. No, you're religious. So the signs of the times are coming. Because i got to tell you this. It says it right here. I'm watching transgenders, people changing. It says they're changing their natural affections. Changing who they are. Man, our world is in a place where sin is just rampant. Rahab Ministries. Destiny Rescue. I understand that little people, this is probably a generational curse that's been upon those in Thailand and Vietnam, and it just continues to keep going and going and going and going. And, they, and some people have said, well, that's what I did. That, that's disgusting, and it's wrong. It's hell. And we've got to start standing up as a church for righteousness. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Man, I'm not standing up for righteousness. Do you understand? Half the church will leave me, preacher. I know. I get it. You stand up for righteousness and half the church does leave. They don't want to be accountable. It says right there they're proud. They're blasphemers. They're boastful. They're unthankful. They're unholy. Wow. How convicting is that, church? We're in a place right now where we live unholy lives. Because all we are is hearers of the word and not doers. Sad, isn't it? In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3-18. Second Peter chapter 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. God bless you. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by the water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And I love verse 9, and I've underlined it, and I've highlighted it. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. You see, in, in the King James, it talks about he is not slack, or the word slackness. He, as some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but that everybody should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? 
You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. In verse 14, ready church, here we're encouraged. And he says, so then dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them with these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. The people of this horrible disaster, the destruction that's taking place in Florida, the destruction that is continuing to take place up through the Carolinas, they need our prayers, our compassion, and our finances. They don't need our judgment. We've come to a place in in America and in our churches to condemn people and to damn them to hell before we can lift them up to heaven. Back in the 60s, Paul Harvey prophesied a little message. He didn't prophesy. I just thought I'd throw that in there. But he said things are going to take place and how the world is going to change. And there will come a day when he will not, we will never be able to listen to a speech that says, I'm Paul Harvey. Good day. It will be a sad, sad day. Listen closely. I wanted to play this this audio clip for you. Watch closely. I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, V. So I'd set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a servant, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is swear. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in 
How to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies, and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want it until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. What'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. Profound, isn't it? 1965. And to think that it seems like that's going on right now, isn't it? Sad. But I want all of you to know, God's not finished with us yet. We have... A lot of work ahead. When I think of Rahab Ministries, and when I think of Destiny Rescue, I think of a little guy or little girl or a woman or even a man that is caught up where the devil has him in bondage. But you know what's going to happen? When one of those little people, one of those young ladies gets the power of the Holy Spirit anointing upon him. God's going to do a great movement and the gospel is going to be spread abroad. We have to continue to spread the gospel and understand truly where the signs of the times are at. I don't believe right now God's coming back because of the hurricane and the fires. That's just me personally. Because it says we won't know the time or the hour. He'll give us signs. But he says... Until every nation. So let's continue to spread the gospel. We embark upon 12 years new hope. 12 years of ministry. We've seen a lot of change in 12 years. And we will continue to see much more change. Because our world is changing. But know this. God is not finished with us yet. Let's all stand. Father, we love you and we just thank you that in your word, we realize that we identify the end days, we identify the rapture, we look at the tribulation 
where you will come back and reestablish your kingdom on this earth. So, Father, help us to take the word. Help us to stand blameless before you. Encourage us, Father, to live a life that's righteous and that's holy before you. God, there's some in this room that have have not been living a life that's sold out and separated for you. And Father, I just pray that, Lord, right now, that you'll just change their relationship. Lord, you haven't moved. You haven't changed. Maybe they've changed and they've moved from realizing just who you are. So God, help us today to understand what our role is on this earth. And Lord, remind us to seek the kingdom first. Putting aside the old man, the old ways. Help us to walk in the new creature, the new creation that you made us to be. Lord, if there's somebody here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, Father, may they put aside their pride. May they come forward and accept you as Lord and Savior. One believing that you are the Son of God. That Jesus came to give hope and to give life. And Lord, today, I just pray that, Lord, as as we realize that we are just sinners saved by grace, that all we have to do is believe and accept you as Lord and Savior. God, help us to live a life that understands your word more and clearer. Work in us today. Move us today. In your name we pray. Amen.